I have a scientific process for selecting who goes next. I have a bag with our names on it. Oh, how cute. I love it. What is on that bag? And I pull out a little thing, and it has, oh, it says Liz Easton. I go first. (laughs) That's exciting. That makes it even more exciting. Welcome to Poppin' Collars. My name is Betsy, and I'm here with three of my favorite people in the world. How's everybody doing? Betsy? I'm probably saying that because I'm just euphoric and giddy. I'm on the doorstep of two weeks of spring break once I make it through this week. I mean, it's just going to be nothing but, you know, margaritas and... Surfing. Actually, it's not. I'm really <laughs> staying sta- here, beautiful Alexandria, Virginia. But um, I serve here at Episcopal High School as uh, one of our chaplains here. But who is joining me, Liz? Hey, Becky. Hey, how are you? Good. No spring break for me, but I had a real priest's roller coaster last week where I went to a bachelorette party in Palm Springs for a couple of days, turned right around, and went to our clergy retreat for most of the week so and and how similar were those the fullness of life you know pretty similar uh, similarities included talking about our feelings talking about our families more more (laughs) bottles of rosé at the bachelorette party than the clergy retreat but only by a couple only by a couple (laughs) maybe i mean i'm not saying that that i'm just saying Uh everyone's drinking rosé at all times of year now that's that's right that's right that's right that's right Uh, greg Greg, how are you doing? Are you here to flaunt your weather? I think I may be the only one that can actually surf uh, at this time of year. Oh, uh, man. Down here in Palm Beach, Florida, where I'm the director of children and youth ministries at the Church of Bethesda Bussy. But just like Betsy's looking forward to spring break, I'm looking forward to getting on the other side of this stuff because I'm going to be hiking the Camino Yay! really soon. Like It feels like... I have like one more bump, and then once I'm on the other side of this, it feels like I'm I'm like just right there. So, Ricardo, how are you doing? Hey, Betsy, I am all right. Uh, sitting over here in California, where I am rector of St. Luke's in Los Gatos. Uh, just got back from a week in England, where I was taking a continuing education course called the Bible Cultural Critique and Transformation, which um, was actually pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, I started I looking was, at their course catalog after seeing where you were. It looks awesome. Yeah, they've got good stuff. And you stay right there on the close of the cathedral. And I could see Salisbury Cathedral spire right outside our bedroom window. Wow. You know, sort of a vacation and education. Uh, eduvation. 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 I think. Can we trademark Education. So for tonight's topic, I I chose something that has been on my mind, and I think all of us, in the span of the ages that we are, we have enough going on in our rearview mirror that we have things that we have grown up loving, things that have been, made important memories for us, 
that we associate with people that we love in our lives, maybe, or we associate them with favorite memories or things like that. But that now these events and things have become, and I, I use this word, I feel like it's been used a lot, but we discussed it. We think it's probably the most apropos word, problematic. Things that now we've learned, we've learned too much, we know too much, and it's hard to love them in the way that we love them before. Greg is introducing a new twist to our show. He has it's a, bag. a machine. What does it say on that bag, Greg? It says, "It is, is well with my soul." That is such Aww. a great bag. Nice. What a great it's bag! Cute too. And Just... in it, he has he has little tabs that have the first letter of our names on them. And you're going to draw. Really underselling this. This is an advanced machine okay. that <laughs> randomly generates uh, a yes. an algorithm. That yes. selects who goes next. Wow. I mean, drum roll, drum roll, please. Oh, I've got an L for <gasps> Lizzie. Liz. Oh, yes. Perfect. Okay. All right, Liz. Liz, what when I when I broached this topic, what what came to mind for you? You know, I ended up kind of going in a different direction, but um, I, like everyone, I have um, been assaulted by the. Um, by the problematic nature of celebrities and pop culture in the last few years. So like, I, you know, my first ferocious crush was on Johnny Depp, like not so much anymore. I used to say that if I was ever like critically ill, I would just want to watch DVDs of the Cosby show to like laugh myself to (laughs) health because it, it just always makes me laugh so hard, you know, not so much anymore. So there's plenty of that to choose from, but what I've been thinking about, especially as Lent approaches and, um, as our political climate heats up, I think that the thing that I'm going to point to is my smartphone. This is how you turn it on. This is your music. This is your email. This is the web. And this is a call on your iPhone. I'm very disturbed by smartphones right now. And with everything from like the, um, the way that I interact with the phone, like spiritually and, um, as a consumer and, um, the way that it distracts me, the way that you can kind of sense that like dopamine addiction, that aspect of it is, um, concerning everything that that happened with like Cambridge analytics and the whole, um, Facebook deal with the last election. Like I, you all may know, and I, this may have come up on the podcast over the years that I'm a pretty natural conspiracy theorist. And what I think I I have, that has been a slow growth for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see it. It's true. I'm very suspicious. And when I think about when I was younger and reading like Aldous Huxley or something, I would have my I would have been afraid that it was the government who would surveil us. And now here we are in the year of our Lord 2020. And um, it, it is actually huge corporations and in some cases individuals that are surveilling us. And we are allowed like they're doing it with our consent. I think of like every time that something comes up on a website and they're like, accept. And I'm thinking like, I need to read this clickbait about, you know, Demi Lovato, accept. 
And I just think of like all of the privacy that I just gave away. I've had so many occasions in the last year where I was saying something out loud with my voice in the vicinity of my cell phone. And then I very quickly get a targeted ad from that thing. So all of that is making me nervous. So what does this mean, Liz? I mean, what do you think about this with Lent? What's your thought? Well, so with Lent, I'm doing a buy nothing Lent, which has a little bit to do with this because I'm aware that part of the reasons that smartphones have gotten to this place has to do with marketing. And like, is there a way that I could disrupt my relationship to that algorithm or even to that tool if I just decide not to buy anything for the extent of Lent? And and I, think, I think what you what you put your finger on is the nature of these things because it's kind of I don't know what to do with this. It's not mm-hmm. like I'm at the point where I'm ready to just jettison it entirely. Right. And as you said before we started recording, the thing with things that are problematic is that we still love them and like them, and that's part of the problem. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I think that part of like having an increased awareness of it has been helpful for me. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just really aware that like I'm being used by a gigantic machine in ways that I don't even really understand. Okay. So sidebar. Yeah. Real quick. What is buy nothing lent? What are the, how do you do that? What are the parameters? So for me, it's, um, there are kind of a couple of different ends for this of why I want to do it, but I'm not, um, I'll buy groceries. And I'll buy like toiletries and like cleaning products, the stuff that I kind of have to buy to live my life through those 40 days, but I'm not buying anything else. I think that you touched on something really key, which is this um, sense of uh, agreeing to things or accepting things that you are problematic or you probably wouldn't agree to. Like for instance, there's no reason that Candy Crush needs to know my location or have access to the pictures on my phone, right? right? But like when you like launch that app or download that app, like they ask for these things. And if you decline, then you don't get access to those things. And what it makes me think is that it makes us more willing to accept things that we would probably find unacceptable, like in other phases of our life. Right. And just in order to get to where it is that we want to go. So like we make concessions on this little thing of like, sure, fine. I guess Candy Crush can have access to my pictures. And then that makes us less kind of um, reactionary to like big things that, you know, probably deserve our attention. But because we because we give in on little things, it makes us give in on big things, too. I think that the census is a great example of this. Like, I have heard young progressives say under the Trump administration, I will not fill out my census. Well, the census is a tool that's used to help us provide services to marginalized people or really to all Americans. And we're giving away way more data than we would ever fill out on a census form for the government to Google. Like, I'm not going to tell my income to the United States government, which you do anyway, right? But I will click accept on every single app that I download and every, you know, websites that I visit on all the rest. Yeah. Maybe your little machine that picked Liz first needs a little fine tuning. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wait, did you accept the terms of the bag, Liz? (laughs) Uh Uh I think I've been either bought and sold already and I don't realize it, or I'm just not that worried about it. I don't know tangibly what they're going to do to me. But I belong to this um, 
it's like a list serve. Remember those where people post things and it's like a a group thing. Yeah. Um, And there's a guy who literally daily for about three years would post Google is taking your information, Facebook. I mean, I don't know where he found this stuff, but every single day. And finally, I just like, I'm so annoyed with him. And it was him that I got annoyed with and all the stuff he was writing. It's like he ranted and ranted and it's like the prophet that you're like, what are you, what? Mm -hmm. And so I still don't know though, like what is it they'll do to us? Are they going to make me vote for someone that I didn't want to vote for? Or am I going to buy things I don't want? Or is it happening without my knowledge? I I guess I sort of assume that maybe it happens to more gullible people. It's just so amorphous. And I think that's, maybe that's even part of the, the sneakiness of it. Yeah. You know? Oh, what harm can it do to click except because I want to hear what Demi Lovato's up to now? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, magic bag. It's, it's a G. G. Oh, for Gregory. Which is good because my thing builds off of Liz's thing. Yeah, so this is it. this welcome to part two of <laughs> the internet's oh. going coming after you. Okay, great. So so what is problematic for you, Greg? It's social media for me. Okay, but um, I'm going to try to get through this in a way that I'm going to try to keep Ricardo in this conversation because I'm with you, Ricardo, in the sense that I get upset or aggravated or annoyed with people who do these um, complaining posts about like social media. It just comes off as like preachy and self-righteous a lot of times, like when people come out against these things. Like somehow, you know, they're better because they've left Facebook or they're better because like they've, you know, given up on Twitter or something. And and like I, I'm sympathetic to that, but I'm still going to speak out against Facebook and Twitter, <laughs> um, especially Facebook. So here's the thing. Uh, when Mark Zuckerberg was testifying before Congress late last year. Uh, he said something that I thought was pretty profound when he talked about when he was asked the question, would Facebook uh, scan political ads to see if there was any misinformation in the ads that were put on their site? And he said, on your question about uh, political ads, uh, look, from a business perspective, uh, the very small percent of our business that is made up of political ads does not come anywhere close to justifying the controversy that this incurs for our company. So this really is not about money. Uh, This is, on on principle, I believe in giving people a voice. I believe that ads can be an important part of voice. Um, I I think especially in the political process for challenger candidates uh, and for local candidates or advocacy groups whose message might not otherwise be covered by the media, um, having ads can be an important way to uh, inject your message into the into Let the. Let me interrupt debate. you for a minute. Are you telling me? I think, as you said to me before, you plan on doing no fact checking on political ads. Uh, Chairwoman, our our policy is that we do not fact check politicians' speech, and the reason for that is that we believe that in a democracy, it is important that people can see for themselves what politicians are saying. Political speech okay, so here's the problem <laughs> with Mark Zuckerberg's okay. statement. Is that, okay, yes, he's talking about advertising, specifically political advertising, and that will show up on Facebook. You'll see ads, 
basically built into someone's timeline, right? Like at, right after somebody's picture of their breakfast or, you know, Nana's like invitation to words with friends or something, there'll be like an ad for uh, whatever Liz just talked about in her living room. And then, you know, something else, some other status will come up. But here's the thing, like all of those things and this entire platform is built around two concepts, really friends who are people that you accept onto your timeline, right? And who are people that you, I guess you want to hear from because you've accepted their friend request, whatever friend is, right? Um, and groups, these are things that you choose to belong to, right? So these are people that you have something in common with. So when you're getting information from Facebook, yeah, you're getting information from ads, but more often than not, you're getting information from your friends, and from groups that you say that you belong to. And this is how it becomes kind of like an insidious form of misinformation. Because if a friend passes something along to me, that's probably not true. And it's not fact-checked by Facebook as being untrue. Well, then I'm more likely to give credence to it because it came from a friend, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least I'm more likely to pay attention to it. Whereas if it were just an ad, if it was just a Bloomberg ad on TV, I would be able to ignore it. But because it came from somebody that I like or at least have some kind of relationship with, I'm more likely to just at least kind of look it over. Or I may, I'm, I'm likely to engage in with the information with the person that passed it along on my timeline. All this is to say that by not fact-checking, what we're doing is it's become a rumor and gossip site, Facebook. And I think what makes it sad, and the reason that I bring it up, because I'm with you, Betsy, like this really is a second guess for me because I like Facebook. It's not that I don't like Facebook. I love Facebook. I love the opportunity to check in with friends from high school that I, would ne that I wouldn't engage with otherwise, or at least I probably wouldn't put the effort to engage with. I like it. I like seeing what my family's up to. I like seeing what my friends from seminary are up to. But at the same time, like the trade-off is that you're involved in something that's built on lies and deception, um, especially as we go into Lent and we're talking a lot about deceiving and deception uh, with Jesus in the wilderness. All of these social media platforms that we use, they're basically giant advertisements and you know, we do this podcast and we tell people like, hey, check out what we're doing, like follow our site. And we send them to somebody else's like advertising site, be it Facebook or Twitter, to like see what we're doing rather than engaging us, right? It's all filtered through these things. And the people who are responsible for this don't care. Like they, they like Zuckerberg's like quote he doesn't care. He doesn't care if you're misinformed. Like, he doesn't care if you get in an argument with your uncle and it fractures your family. He doesn't care, right? And I think that that's the, that's the thing that makes me second guess this platform. And I've noticed that people really do engage, I mean, like, in a really emotional way on a completely different track than they do in real life. Like, you can say the same things in conversation at coffee hour, and have like a pretty calm, even if it's a disagreeing conversation about a controversial political issue. But if you put it on Facebook, it explodes. And it's the same person. That is really interesting to me. And another thing that I have been aware of since Zuckerberg's testimony 
is that he and some young tech guys like him were basically young anarchists, you know, hackers on the internet who, who really ascribed to a kind of anarchist philosophy who are now super capitalists. And like what happens when those two philosophies collide? The sort of lawlessness, the Wild West nature of data, you know, that they came into it with. And now they're billionaires. Yeah. And I think it's a really chaotic um, space to be in. I mean, at the end of the day, business is about supply and demand. And the thing about social media is that the supply is you. Like, mm -hmm. you are the product. Like, the other side of this is that it's a tool that I really like. Like that's and I th this is why I like the topic because I do like it and it broke my heart when I did quit Facebook like personally and I had to explain to my mom like why she wasn't seeing pictures of me and the girls you know oh, it's yeah. like well and we all had to have a conversation makes it really hard yeah so it makes everything hard and everything kind of gets funneled through this company in order to have relationship you know and it's like I don't know it's just really funky. Valid point. I I don't want please. I don't want to be cast as the naysayer in this. By the way, yeah, yeah, no, no. Put that in. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Ricardo, not the naysayer. I have it right here you. in my notes. Accentuate that. No, I. Um, the one thing that I know and I believe really does happen is that social media really stokes the flames of you know what they used to call flame wars. It, it really, it stokes people's anger and anxiety and um, pol polarization in this country. And, and, and I think in that sense, it, it really has diminished our, um, it's just, it's, it's destroyed our level of civility at the same time that it's made us in some strange way, more connected to people we would probably have let go of in our lives. And, mm. you know, and that was that. Uh, that was a time and a place in my life when I was in seminary, as opposed to, oh, look what Andy Shamel is doing now at Oxford. Um, so, you know, or what? Hi, Andy. Shout out, Andy. Shout out. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. It's, 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 got, a, it's got a power in our culture that it has not earned, nor does it really, it being social media, whatever that means, nor does it take responsibility for uh, and so I think that's really dangerous because there's a lot of stuff going on that people might not care about as much if they didn't see everybody getting angry about it. Or they wouldn't get so angry if they just told it to their own friends as opposed to posting it to 800 friends. So, I mean, I get that I understand. Um, the other thing I, I've realized is I, I'm actually I'm the oldest of the four of us. And um I think I came into all of this with not a lot of the fascination. Like I, I Facebook, I've enjoyed, but like I got an Instagram account, uh, an Instagram account and a Twitter account, but I just never really took to them. I, I didn't quite understand how to do it. Just felt like too much trouble. And so I just, you know, I left it alone. And, and I know that there's like Snapchat and TikTok and whatever it is, the latest one this week. And I'm just kind of like, eh, you know, I'm going to read a book. And so maybe I'm just an old fogey uh, and I can't relate. And so I just think, well, I'm safe in my little, you know, 1980s shell. Uh, and I have my cell phone and I like it and I want the iPhone 11. You know, am I being lazy about not calling this stuff out uh, in my role as priest in, in, a, in, a, in a community? 
but I, I'm just not, I don't feel it as much as you guys. And I don't know, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that I'm of, of a time and a place maybe that, you know, it doesn't seem to register as much. You hit the nail on the head with the, the responsibility that it hasn't earned, nor right. does it mm-hmm. actually respect. That's, mm-hmm. I agree with you. All right. That's a- I'm up. All right. So this topic originally came up because we were <laughs> in uh, Oscar season and the flu has, has given us a little bit of distance from, from the original, <laughs> at least inception for me. I, I've grown up. I, I grew up liking award shows. It wasn't that it was something that my, my mom was into or my parents were into. I started to get into it when I was out in the world working in newspapers. And so I'm working in entertainment sections with people who write the movie reviews, who write the TV reviews. And so this idea of being critical and thoughtful about the entertainment I was consuming, I had people right there who were doing that for a job and getting paid to do it. I was able to go to early movie screenings. I was able to go to, yeah, let's go review the NSYNC concert. Absolutely, I'm 24 years old going to this concert. Whatever, right? And to be around the critics, I felt like, oh, well, I'm a part of the social critique too. And I have opinions about what's best. And and I like doing Oscar polls. And I like, ooh, I like dressing up in costumes. And let's have a thematic party. And And it really was something that has for a long time been a part of my adult life from my twenties on. And I used to do everything from live tweeting the red carpet to live tweeting all the shows. I then have kind of now gotten to, I I was doing, I was doing Grammys, um, TV video music awards, a little dated, uh, doing, doing the Oscars, doing the golden globes. And it slowly has started to kind of pair away of different things that I'm not, is into. I now know that I don't necessarily have to watch a whole award show because I can, the best parts or the parts that are interesting will be posted the next day and I can watch them anyway. But some of it has really been the going behind the machine of everything and being a little more reflective about what I'm actually doing. I think it started with a conversation I had with a friend of mine here at, at Episcopal and we were talking about commenting at all on how people look or what they wear. Mm. And, you know, she said, I don't even say to a kid who's obviously had a haircut or whatever, you know, Oh, a nice haircut. You know, I just, I'm not even commenting on how people look because I don't want to give so much value to visual appearance. So she, she, she had some issues with my, you know, making comments about people's clothes. Mm. on the red carpet, even though there's, even though there's celebrities and even though they're putting themselves out there. And even though, you know, there's a whole big fat industry behind dressing them. And I started to say, oh, you know, and what model am I giving mm-hmm. to my daughter who's, who, as a young girl, was even like, oh, is it, are we watching the dresses? Like, that's what yeah. she called the show. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Wow. So that started to feel not so great. So I stopped, I stopped tweeting the red carpet. I stopped doing any of that. And now, really, the machines behind the shows whether we're looking at the controversy and the pulling the curtain back on the Grammys or even, you know, having some knowledge of the, of the Weinstein machine when it was happening, but being able to just, well, you know, that Shakespeare love movie, that was fun, you know, and, 
like I was willing to give into the ethos of celebrity. I was willing to give into and was raised in that. I think that's why Greg and I talking about movies from 30 years ago about going on 30. That was when I was, I was being taught that these are the big celebrities. And I don't know whether that's even still the way the rest of the world works, whether the, the idea of how the Oscars is actually works when it's really about money and it's really about who can get their movie in front of more people and to get them to get whoever these people are in the Academy, whoever the Hollywood foreign press actually is to vote for or get your movie in front of their eyeballs. A lot of that leaves a lot of people out of the party. And that's where you get things like the independent spirit awards and different things like that. But it's still just this knowledge now of the machine that I didn't necessarily have before. I felt watching this year's Oscars, you know, I made a couple of comments online, but it was like, oh, I see. Oh, they're really trying to have every person of color in front of this camera tonight mm-hmm. because hashtag Oscar so white mm-hmm. and you know, not nominating uh, any women for direction and not, you know, just again and again and again, I think. And some of that has come from me too. And some of that has come from other, other, other realms and, and cultural pressures on the shows, but I just, I'm having trouble loving it because I'm, <laughs> I know too much. It's something that I think I had identified myself with and that people in the past have been like, Oh, are you watching tonight? Mm-hmm. And now I don't know whether it's really a part of my identity. anymore. But it's an amazing show that we have tonight. We're going all around the world. I know what you're thinking as you look at me. Where's my opening production of it? I know you miss it, don't you? Where's that big, terrible number that usually opens the Oscars? Where is that number where they take all the nominees for Best Picture, put them into one medley? Well, you won't be seeing that tonight. You won't see that number that usually... You won't see that number that usually begins... It's a wonderful night for Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. The nominees for Best Picture are me and my left foot tapping down that field of dreams, cuckoo place where ghosts can play. Is this heaven? No, Jack, it's Iowa. Joe swinging right. Now it's a lockout, play Vincent arbitration kind of night. Could only happen in a field of We belong to a mutual dead poets society, Walt Whitman and me. It's great in a segregated state, driving Miss Daisy back home. Make sure there's fuel to get me to shoot. I'm driving Miss Daisy. He's driving me crazy. I'm driving Miss Daisy back. Born on the 4th of July. Born on the 4th of July. Who will it be? If you finish it, they will applaud. <laughs> I remember you. Uh, posting stuff on Facebook with Oscars and with uh, uh, Grammys and all of that. And I remember feeling really uncool because I wasn't doing it. 
See, look at Facebook shaming you. It's happening again. (laughs) Yeah, what I like about yours, Betsy, is that, you know, it's easy for somebody to come back and say, well, what's wrong with movies? Like, what's wrong with celebrating movies? What's wrong with giving away awards? And that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about, like, the campaigns and the back, you know, room deals and all the stuff that goes into it. That's the not so good stuff. But I like movies. You like movies. We do do a podcast where we talk about movies, right? Like there's nothing wrong with liking movies. And that's the part that makes you feel betrayed when like your identity is tied up in something. And here's the celebration of movies. And if you're a movie file, like, it should be a good night for you. And it's just corrupted by other factors that are beyond your control. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have, you know, a case of, of champagne glasses from world market in my house because of Oscar (laughs) price. I have so much, so many white Christmas lights because of displays I've had in my house for (laughs) Oscar parties. Like it's just here, but I think going forward, I'm going to enjoy them in a different way. And maybe it's more private. Maybe it's less public. And and maybe that's already started. I think that one thing, kind of listening to your story, Betsy, that I'm thinking of, like we all sort of came together around watching award shows and also being people in seminary, which is a very intense kind of reflective environment that uh, we sort of came together, I think, to blow off steam as people who had a foot in this other world. And for me, as my vocation as a priest has developed, that um, that sense of having another other things is mm-hmm. also a part of my identity, you know? So the, it was actually the frivolousness of some of that that was appealing to me and continues to be. And someone recently asked me what my hobbies were. I like, I have not been asked that question since I was on the commission on ministry. And once again, I was pulled back to seminary where I felt this intense need to say like, I play, you know, mountain dulcimer and like, you know, like something. And I love photography and hiking. Exactly. When like, honestly, like I, I like to, you know, watch TV and listen to murder podcasts and go shopping. Like I am a person. So anyway, the identity piece is really interesting to me because yes, there's loving film and being a critic. There's also loving pretty dresses and, (laughs) and knowing who actors are and yeah, it's all tied up there. In an ideal world, which this is not, it shouldn't matter. It should just be quality. Um, but until opportunities are given to everyone equally, uh, we do need to have those voices. But I think that also kind of is another layer of then what's the best movie? Putting too much power into somebody else confirming the thing that you like, that can be the problematic thing, right? Because it's like, I really liked Little Women. Trust me, I was pulling for Little Women to win the Oscar this year. I knew it had no chance to win the Oscar because it just wasn't in the conversation, right? right. But, you know, but that doesn't mean that that movie is bad. Like, it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I didn't watch Parasite last weekend and love it. Uh, I loved did. Parasite, yeah. Right. <laughs> so. All right, so last, um, but not least, can we just get the get the bag just for... Just so we, where's oh, yes. I have I just, just so we can do it. Let's do it. Oh. All right, Ricardo, 
What'd you go with? You You know, um, I was was thinking about this and thinking, you know, I, I have no regrets. (laughs) And that's so not true. I, I, I don't regret things that I've done and loved. I think my regrets are more existential, like, Things I didn't do, <laughs> things I wish I'd done. Uh, so I was, you know, the one thing that came to mind is the most obvious one for me, and it came up in a different podcast, and uh, and that is Woody Allen's movies. Um, you know, similar to what Liz was saying earlier, which you may or may not cut, and if you do cut, you have to cut this too. Uh, <laughs> about <laughs> Bill Cosby and um, what was the other example you gave? Johnny Depp. Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp, right. I loved I when I first started watching Woody Allen movies. I was in mostly in, in college. It's like 1984, and I saw Annie Hall and I saw Manhattan. And to me, they were just about such you know sophisticated, urban, urbane, honest about sex and insecurities movies. And I I just I found them amazing. I loved them. And then um, there were a lot of Woody Allen movies I, I didn't really care for, but. Uh, Something like Midnight in Paris with that whole nostalgia thing, it tickled my fancy. So when the stuff came out about him and his, oh Lord, I don't remember who's who's involved, but uh, a daughter of Mia Farrow's, uh, and then of course guy? he married the adopted daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then I started, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I saw scenes from Manhattan and I thought, okay, this is creepy. And I started seeing it here and there. I didn't go and rewatch the Woody Allen movies, but I started feeling bad about liking them so much. Ever since the accusations came out about him, it's been hard. Not that hard, because he's not in my kind of zeitgeist anymore. But um, I, you know, I still kind of love those old movies and, and wonder if I'm supposed to stop loving them. You, you play very well. Oh, yeah, so do you. Oh, God, what a, what a dumb thing to say, right? I mean, you say it, you play well, and then right away, I have to say you play well. Oh, oh, God, Annie. Well, oh, well. <laughs> la-di-da, la-di-da, la-la, yeah. Uh, you, you want a lift? Oh, why? Uh, y- you got a car? No, I'm, I was going to take a cab. Oh, no, I have a car. <laughs> You have a car? So, <clears throat> I don't understand. Why, if you have a car, so then, then why, why did you say, do you have a car, like you want a lift? I don't, I don't, I, geez, I don't know. I, I wasn't, <laughs> it's, I got this VW out there. <laughs> what a jerk, yeah. Would you like a lift? <laughs> sure. Which way are you going? Me? Um, downtown. I'm, I'm, I'm going uptown. Oh, well, you know, I'm going uptown, too. No, wait a minute. You just said you were going downtown. Yeah, well, um, but I can... I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can go uptown, too. I live uptown, but uh, what the hell? I mean, it'd be nice having company, you know? I mean, I hate driving alone. Yeah? I'm not interested in denouncing Woody Allen's movies because of what he's done. Because they meant a lot to me when I saw them. And they showed me a world that I'd never seen before. And to denounce the movies, as opposed to the person is to kind of denounce kind of the growth that they afforded me. So it's tricky. What about Michael Jackson? (sighs) Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that, Ricardo? I mean, is that, can you divorce the music from the maker? I guess I still, I I sort of can. Um, But I was never a huge Michael Jackson fan. And now if the song comes up at a wedding, well, I don't dance that much anymore, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) Too old. But, um... (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I, I again, it's again, if it were Bruce Springsteen or you know, then it would that would be really hard. Uh, but Michael Jackson, yeah, I, I don't, I don't go out of my way to listen to Michael Jackson, but I wouldn't say turn that off. That man molested children. I haven't seen that documentary that came out. <sighs> That documentary is a condemnation of every single one of us. And it's, yeah. it's not just about Michael Jackson. I mean, it, the finding Neverland, it's the, um, the way that we, that we managed to do this with celebrity. I mean, he was doing this in plain sight. It was the most obvious thing in the world. Really? It's, it's stunning. It's a heartbreaking documentary. Wow. Yeah. So maybe, maybe there's, maybe there is that too. So my original thing was Woody Allen, but I think it, 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 as you guys have said, it, it, it relates to a lot of other people, uh, that we used to love. And, um, what do we do with that affection? I don't know. I don't know what the correct response is. I think if I were to just denounce it all, um, I would kind of be resentful a little bit, which is maybe okay. You know, uh, that I was coerced into it and it, it wouldn't feel wholehearted. I'd be kind of, I'd be campaigning against something that I didn't really feel in my heart because I loved Annie Hall. Well, and it. I think, and this is a discussion we've had on the podcast before, um, as some of these cultural movements have been happening. Can you divorce the art from the artist? Can you separate the two from, from each other? And where are you willing to make that compromise? Where are you not? Or is it even a compromise? Yeah, does art get to stand on its own merits? Or does it have to be judged? Or do we need to judge it a little more, I'll just use the word responsibly, based on what we know about the artist? So that's all I got to say. Woody Allen and Friends, Mm -hmm. I have some regrets about. Well, guys, uh, I don't think we've solved any of the world's problems tonight uh, on on this episode. But... I mean, we, we named the the quandary of loving things. The Now that the curtain has been pulled away and there's the little man pulling the levers and turning the wheel, what do you do then? So I think that's something that we all wrestle with. So thank you all so much. You can find us in all the places where you get your podcasts and all that good stuff. <laughs> We're all I don't even want to give platforms. out any of the information based on this episode. I don't even <laughs> want to talk about all the places... <laughs> where you can find us we're out there we're wherever you get your podcasts there you go all right have a good night everybody and keep those collars popped